0: Hi, it's Wednesday after Yom Kippur. Uh, <laughs> Formally, I was supposed to do these on Wednesday anyway. Uh, but I'm uh, <laughs> a little tired still from Yom Kippur and getting ready for a circus, obviously, like everyone else. Um, today's uh, podcast is being uh, sponsored by Ari Elbaum. Ari Elbaum, uh, in memory of someone who uh, passed away the other day. And here in Baltimore and Lakewood, uh, was a Rebbe of mine and a Rebbe of his, even though many years separate us. This is Rebbe Chaim Bloomberg from TA who was a very beloved figure. I had him many moons ago when the first year he ever taught, half century ago, um, before he was even married. He got married the year that we had him in the eighth grade. And he went on to have the many years in the high school. And uh, as they say before, is a beloved figure by uh, to many students, uh, and uh, an Ari Bell album is one of them. And I hope this will be a, a tribute to the member. Very nice of Ari to sponsor on his behalf. Uh, we are looking for sponsors this week. Uh, anyway, with any further ado, um, I asked him yesterday who's the names this week. You know uh, the Yard Saxon. I heard this, that, and the other. You know how it goes. Nothing catches you until I heard one name, and then it jumped out at me, and that's the Ronsberg, Saul Ronsberg, my Ronsberg. Perhaps you've seen him on the side of the Gemara. They have the little horus and whatever. This means the guy got into the Gemara. Um, the Vilna shots, the Prague shots. And this is an unknown figure, but I know about him. It's, I find very interesting. Sometimes these obscure persons are at least to my mind, kind of interesting. Here we're dealing with somebody who was a very chash of a Talmud in Prague in the late 1700s, early 1800s. He uh, didn't live a long life, 1760, 1820. He lived to be 60 years old. Didn't have any kids. Uh, and to my mind, serves as a certain typology. Um, I've sometimes talked not only about your classic regular rabbi who's a god famous, it was in our basin somewhere, Russia Hashiva, sometimes it doesn't exactly work out that way. So I spoke a couple weeks ago about, uh, what's his name, the librarian, uh Margo You know, some some of these people have uh, their own very uh, uh, kind of niche. Today I'm talking about by Bissal Ronsberg. Now really, he's named after a town in Bohemia named Ronsberg. In, Germ- in, in Central Europe, the S is a S, it's not it's like Budapest. But I'm an American, I can't stand talking like that. I know it's Budapest, but even when I'm over in Hungary, I say Budapest. So as far as I'm concerned, Ronsberg. And um, here's someone who lived all of his life in Prague in Central Europe. Prague in Central Europe. Uh, Very, an interesting sort of what they call the Chachme Prague. In the last year before the lights of Torah was snuffed out, because it was snuffed out, baby. He died in 1820. By 1830s, by 1840s, there was, there was nothing left in Prague. The whole Yiddish like collapsed, like a house of cards, which is extraordinary, because prior to that, it was a big Malcolm Torah. Now, um, our hero was uh, born in Prague uh, in the 1700s, seventeen sixty. By that time, the note was already the rabbi there, because he started in 1754, 1755. Now, Prague and I've mentioned this, I'm sure a number of times, it's not the first time I spoke about this it was uh, the largest Jewish community in Europe, 10, 11,000 uh, Ashkenazi Jews. Um, Vilna was like 2,500, 3,000. So Prague was like three, four times that much. They had nine or ten Shoals, which is very unusual in the old days in Europe. Real cyn guys, if you go to Prague today, you can see many of them as we did last year in 2019. And in addition to what I just said, they also had a lot of yeshivas, some of which were in shuls. This is just very interesting. Usually, you have smaller communities with a yeshiva. Maybe two. Maybe. That Jewish history is a whole long, colorful history of two rabbis having two yeshivas in the same town and fighting like cats and dogs. That's a well-known part of the History of the Gedol Yisrael. But in Prague, I think you had like 10 yeshivas, maybe 11, some of which were not small. So I'm not talking about small base men you had that too, right? And you had these little kolels and stuff. Now don't get the idea everybody in Prague was so from baloney. Just read the sermons of the famous rabbis in Prague, which were wonderful to read. I mean, the Yehudas, the uh, you know, the, the Tu Meava, you know, some Abishuds, uh, you know, uh, I mean, you name it. And they're always talking about how bad the people in Prague are, what, what they're doing wrong. So there were plenty of people in the town. There were Kal Shabbat And, you know, were barely keeping Shabbos and all this kind of stuff. Uh, let it be. But it's also true, Prague was a classic community of the old school then. And you had the left, right, and center. Meaning you had your frumies that were chassinim in the sense that, you know, left the Mishra and there were Talmid HaKhamim and all that. They certainly had that. But that's only one segment of the community. You also had a left-wing community, which was the reverse of that, and you had a large middle. And uh, the history of Prague, I think, is 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 very fascinating. That's all. Now, our hero was born into a family of the right wings. I'll use that terminology. Uh, And so Prague is also famous for a lot of politics and a lot of fights. Um, So his father, the our hero Rabbi Bissal Ronsberg was born in 1760, and his father, who died young, was a Talmud of a certain yeshiva there. Not to know the Behudas. As a matter of fact, this is part of the biography of the Behuda, which I'm not going to go into length now, because that will take a couple hours by itself. Who, When it came to Prague, didn't stop coming to a, a, a midbar bush Uh Prague got a big tradition of its own yeshivas. And just imagine if in one... I'm just making this up. Just imagine if in one town... Well, I mean, you have to make it up, like in Israel. Go to Yerushalayim. There's the Mir, that's a whole world, and there's Hebron, that's a whole world, and then there's, I don't know, you know, these other, should, the Brisk, that's a whole world. You know what I'm saying? So, you uh, had that in Prague, and um, the father of our hero was not a Talmud of the Nod-Bihuda. Nod-Bihuda actually came there only five, six years earlier. He was a Talmud of, uh, of one of the most famous Talmino of Bionus and Abishas. And you know, Abishitz had been not the rabbi, but the, he wasn't now based in Prague. He wanted it, but didn't get it. But he had a yeshiva there, which was phenomenally popular. I'm talking about Abishitz uh, um, in the 1720s and 30s and 40s, that kind of thing. And so, uh, again, he was phenomenally popular. Maybe the most popular charismatic rashi of all time, possibly. I'm talking about Abishitz. Um, and he had many students. I mean, thousands, which is remarkable. Here you have a city like Prague. It's not a tiny city, but it's not New York. And uh, the Jewish neighborhood was kind of small. wasn't tiny, but it was small near the river. And I was there. It's very pretty, but it's uh, small. And uh, conditions were oppressive in the 18th century. It was under the Catholic, the Habsburgs, and the Jesuits. It wasn't easy at all. And um, in spite of what I just said, boys from all over the world would come to Prague. They would walk there. And uh, the vast majority of them were poor, and they didn't have shoes, and so on and so forth. And like I always said, You know, they were the old school. You know, you slept on the floor. And um, that's why you had vast numbers of students that came there uh, to want to learn on their own. I'm sure many were losers, and, you know, they sort of little by little, got winnowed out, but there were plenty of people that were not. Now, listen closely. From the thousands of students in these different yeshivas... Besides Abishas, the other yeshivas, there were others. So uh, you had a certain elite. What do I mean when I say elite? Uh, People who have, they're good in learning and they have money, (laughs) to put it bluntly. Uh, You have to have both. And so those guys, if they're really good in learning, uh, well then you can, um, let me put it this way. What's your life career? Get it? Uh, Our hero is part of what I'm about to talk about. This is an internal problem that's there today. A guy goes to Yeshiva, and what's the future? Everybody knows theoretically, what are you going to become a Rosh Hashiva? Very few. What are, you, are you going to get a job in Chinuch? Not if you're not don't have the right you're not married to the right person and that sort of thing. Ain't gonna happen. You know, these jobs are locked up for the majority. Uh, so how's it gonna go? You know, what's your future? So in the old days you know, there was a certain number of jobs out there for people who were good and graduated yeshivas, if I can use the term graduation. It's uh, informal. And, you know, a few are going to be Rabbonim. That's true. And a few will be, uh, I guess you call magid or something like that. Um, then there's a secondary uh, rung. Uh, these guys will be Dayonim, okay, if you're built that way. Uh, that's a certain number of jobs. Uh you know, for a small group, is a is a magidim. You see what I'm saying? The clay kodesh was a certain group, but not that much, but it was some. Uh, now, if you're not going to get that, then what are you going to do? The answer is, you have to get married and go to work. Uh, the 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 hope in those days was, if you'll be a good guy, so you marry, if I say, a rich girl, meeting the girl, a daughter rich merchant, rich business person, and you go into the business. Nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. And join the family business. Then you have somebody who's Turgidul Malkamechol. He's a businessman, engages in business. He well, also knows to that you uh, had. Prague was famous for that. All the uh well-to-do, or I would say moderately well-to-do business people would all go to Prague. Because they said, If I take the yeshiva guy is 20 years old, he's got a good head, uh I can turn him into whatever I want. I can make him a merchant. I can make him a shoe salesman. I can make him a, a banker. You know, to, to teach teach him the trade. This is the world I'm talking about from yesteryear. This is how our ancestors lived in Ashkenaz. Now, um, uh, but some people are in a situation where they're independently wealthy. Either their family has money, or they marry money. And then, if the guy's very good, so what he can do is like this: I'll make money in yeshiva. Why not? Now, the Yenazaneshites had a a lot of Talmudib. A few were in that lucky position that they were big, they were like gedolim and learning, and they had money one way or the other. And uh, the most noteworthy of them in Prague at that time was mayor officials. I realize there's not necessarily a name you all heard of all the time, but he was a big deal once upon a time. And and he spent all his life in Prague, and money he had, and uh, he ran a yeshiva with hundreds of students all the time. It was like a miniature version of Jonas and Now, like I say, I'm very well aware that most people haven't heard what I'm talking about. They say, Who's this mayor officials? But take it from me, once upon a time it was a big name, and he had the misfortune that he wrote on whole shots, it was all burned in a fire in the 1754. That's what happened. Uh, the reason I'm mentioning it is you can say I "Guess I'm a Near Israel guy, I'm a Lakewood guy, I'm a Turavadas guy. You see what I'm saying? People identified by their Shivatim by which Yeshiva they learned in. And so if you lived in Prague in the second half of the seventeen hundreds, then you could say, 'cause I'm a no to Behuda guy. Another guy can say I'm a mayor officials guy. This there's nothing wrong with that. There was a other yeshiva's there as well. And uh, not everybody's in the same place. So our hero comes from that Shavit. His father was a Tamadara of mayor officials, who was a famous name once upon a time, who uh, was not old when he died. And uh my goodness, there's a very famous and and uh he was one of the Talmudim of Hakim of Jonas and Abschitz. Although the politics is very messed up. But I spoke about, it. I think I did Abschitz here, I'm pretty sure. And long ago. Jonas Abschitz left Prague in the 1740s under various circumstances. The Nodibi came in 10 years later. When the Nodibi came in, uh, he had a, all the fans of Abschutz didn't like him. Because he was anti-Abschitz on the Shabtai business. He was like pro-Yakum Emden, but he never said it. Uh, he never said it. Now, um, very diplomatic. And therefore, a lot of people had out for Because if you were on the Abeschutz team, you don't like somebody. He's on the other team. And uh, it's part of the famous story of the Huda that little by little he won over the Lomdim. You understand? Uh, He's very careful. Never the same thing. Bad about Ebeschutz, never. Uh, not publicly. And uh, and he won them over. It, was, it This is part of the long story what we're talking about here. And one of the people he won over was were mayor officials. So it's just kind of interesting, the, the politics and the d- dynamism of that time. And the reason he won them over is for the best reason in the world. They were both first-class Talmudic HaKhamem. And you saw, when the Neri showed up, he had the goods. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know to learn. Uh, you know, they tested him, they tried to trip him up with this, that, and the other. he know to learn. And, uh, and he won them over to friendship, which is the highest madriga. So... Ramey officials was a contemporary, the same age, but uh, he was machnia himself, to an obi huda, um, and this is the world our hero grows up in. Uh, I chances are you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, there's a very famous story when Ramey officials, this famous Rosh Hashiva, this big rabbi, he was also in, on the big shot on the Basin in Prague. He was a big deal once in a time. I, like I say, all of his writings were burned just about. So you never heard of him. He had bad muzzle in that regard. But uh, actually, that spurred the note of when he had a fire in his house. He says, I'm publishing this now before my stuff goes in, in smoke. This is the world of yesteryear. You know, they didn't have, uh, what he called carbonite, you know, and you can save your stuff online. It didn't exist. So um, when may officials who officials, I'll say for a tenth time, he had a of hundreds of guys. Uh, it was in one of the shoals of Prague, and if, it's just interesting. The yesteryear, you went to the shul, and the shul was used for services, but at the t- time, other than davening, the place was packed with yeshiva guys. And the rashi would, would, would run the show. It's, you know, it's, it's very interesting. And the rashi was really from the richest family in town. Uh, it's a, this, this is the world of yesteryear. Now, when he died, well, he was like 55 or so, the may official in 1769. When he died... So, the of Yehuda gave a hespit. It's actually a very famous and celebrated Hesped in which, uh, which you can find somewhere, uh, in which he said, I had a, where, where the Node of Yehuda said, you know, he's got these good Hespanim. he's good at that. And uh, the Node of Yehuda said that, because um, he died right before Hanukkah, he said, you know, I had a premonition. I'm just telling you a famous story, or it'll be famous in a second. Uh, he's had a premonition. That he's going to die. Because a week ago I had a bad dream. And in the dream, they came to me, he said, the Pesach in Yeshayahu, in Isaiah chapter 3, uh, which is a very famous uh, prediction of disaster. Correct? In Isaiah 3 it says, Kehinei ha'odon Hashem how does going go. who the God will deprive Judah and Jerusalem, this will be a punishment, deprive you of mash all the support systems. The Chacham Haroshen, Ben Avin the great scholars, Ben Asati Nasareim, Ben Oh, it'll be real bad, you know, and the Sarchamishim and the Supanim, Gibor, Ish Melchama, Shifed, all this stuff. That all these good things will be deprived. Meaning you lose the Gedolim. And he said in the dream, he said, but the pasuk was told to me not in the right way. So first of all, it's a good thing you have Sigmund Freud. Because Sigmund Freud, I guess, were you thinking about? <laughs> Let me put it this way. How would you like to go to a Sheba house? And it's like this. You know, I talked out a dream that your father would die last week and I thought about this and this puzzle. Like, really? I don't really hear that. But here it's different because he did, did it in an honorable way. And he said, um, you know, I had this dream key. That's going to that's remove the, uh, the one who provides you bread. And then, he had, and then he said, then I had another dream. It was a different Puzzle. I forgot what it was. Uh, it was funny. We had a different posse. And like a real rabbi, he's like this, I'm not sure which stream was, Moritz so Amodash and both Pesukim. Like I said before, if you look online, you could find, you can find this probably somewhere. I, I would imagine. One second here. Yeah, the, uh, I thought I took the phone out of the room. And he proceeded to give a whole long hespit, you know, about what a great person this was. And he was the Mishan Lechem, he provided the bread, meaning Lechem Shel Torah. You know what I mean, right? Oh yeah, that's what it is. The other dream was, uh, And he gave a whole long hesper dash, and he boasted his us. He couldn't, couldn't pick which one. That's a rabbi. You know, you got to have the same business. You, you can't hold back. But, um, my goodness, he was a big person. Now, um, and he said, you know, hundreds to him and he was a Tzaddik, and he did big big baltzedakah, and he wrote all these chedushim, and he was a posek, and all this kind of stuff. So that's the background our hero comes from. Now, as I said before, but he was nine years old when this mayor official died, you know. And his father died when he was, and our hero, his father died when he was very young. And so, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I skipped backwards. Excuse me, I said it wrong. I, his mother died when the father the father remarried. And here's the interesting thing. I don't know the politics exactly at that time. How can one? But the young guy, our hero, obviously was a kishran And he was sent not to learn in Prague. I find this very interesting. Maybe they didn't like to Huda. I'm not sure. I could be wrong about that. instead, he sent him from Prague, which was a big Malcolm Terrell to learn as a teenager in other places, particularly in South Germany, in Bavaria. Isn't that interesting? He went to Schwabach, and then he ended up in the famous yeshiva that still exists at that time in Firth. This is that three-volume work from Rabbi, uh, what's his name, Mr. Yecki, uh, uh, Bamberger, Hamburger, After Rabbi Shlomo Hamburger. Excellent work. Three volumes in great detail, Ha-Yeshiva Haramba, Firth. Firth is today part of uh, Nuremberg and uh but it was a separate town once upon a time and it had a very illustrious Jewish history with a lot of Talmud and big heavy learning until the reform closed it down in the 1800s and that's what happened now uh so our hero learns he's from Prague but he learns in first isn't that interesting and then he went to some other little towns to learn by uh these these Rabboni that this is a certain style I'm talking about over here and that is it's just very interesting Here's a guy who's a Rav, let's say, in a small town. I mean, really, it could be a town of 30, 40, 50 Jewish families. And he's a-going out there. So he's got nobody to to, to, to talk to. Uh, and I'll send my son to study with him. It's like having, you know, full-time learning with uh, Chaim Kanievsky. You get what I'm saying? No, you have a very big person, and you're taking advantage of the fact that he's stuck in Nowheresville. And, uh, relatively speaking and uh he, he, the two of you can have a real relationship and that's who our hero is he went to this small town in germany when he was 12 and that one and when he's 15 and this one when he's 17 this one when he's 19 and he spent time by a whole bunch of different uh him who probably were very glad to have him and um that gives you what i would say a in in the, yeshi, in, the in the torah sense a very broad education you get it Because I spent time in Tells, I spent time in in Lakewood, I spent time in YU, I spent time in Mir, I spent time in Thing, and I also spent time in this little town, you know, uh, on -on one-on-one relationship with this Rav, and one-on-one relationship with that Rav. So he had an unusually broad uh, kind of uh, Torah education, which is great. Right? Which is great. That's a a certain way. And uh, eventually he came back to Prague, I guess. This is put it when he around 20 years old. This would make it 1780. By 1780, the behuda was not a young man anymore. Came back to Prague. And he did not go to yeshiva to the behuda. Uh, he went to the yeshiva of Rameer Ah, uh, He was dead. Well, his son took over. I told you, they were rich. They were learned. And so he could join. And so he, uh, you know, like I said before, my father that tells her, so I'm going to tell. Her. you know, that kind of attitude. And he became, you know, the, like the number one student of the son of Rameer officials. Uh, but on the other hand, I can tell you like this: he was clearly, this is cool. But he's also a curve to notea By the 1780s, all that politics and stuff of the sort I'm talking about, with the him and that, that was over. Everybody knew the notea beater's a He's the number one guy in the generation, or among the top two or three. And so he's a goddle. and uh, and the Huda had this, uh, what's the right word? Very good uh, nature about him. You understand? He wasn't boss he was easy to get along with and he loved to talk with people learning and the reason I'm mentioning this is that there's this wonderful <laughs> I love the there's this wonderful tshuva, Uh, I guess you'd say to B'sal Ronsberg from the Notre in his old age now it wasn't this in is Notre Tinyana, volume 2 what you have to understand is Nebuchadnezzar Landau published the Note of Yehuda in 1776, when he was in his 50s, as Volume 1. The second volume was published after his death in 1810. So, that means his kids took all these different writings, and they published it as Volume 2 of the Note of Yehuda. He himself did. Now, a lot of the Note of Yehuda Part 2 has to do with the fact that when the book came out, Note of Yehuda Part 1, so... All the people that wanted to get a reputation, they attacked it. You know what I mean? In, in, in terms, it's full of all kinds of critiques. Some are correct, you know, person's human. And you know, you, you skip this, you got this right, you're wrong. However, whoever wrote to the Dewey like 99 out of a hundred percent, maybe a hundred percent, he's always writing back and says, you say I'm wrong. No, you're wrong. <laughs> right? You don't know that to learn. You say I don't you know here? to learn. You don't know learn. Now, I don't mean this in a bad way. There's nothing personal in all this. This is all scholarly. It's all from the top rung of the rabbinic world. And a good time was had by all. But that's why a lot of what the Notability of Maduro M- M- is. Not all of it, of course, but not a small bit. Now, the reason I mention is you have, a, and they're wonderful documents. The Nota is like a wonderful writer. And so was Bessal Ronsberg. That's why I like him. He's an excellent writer. Uh, even at the lumdus, he's very personal, very chatty. I'm talking about the lumdus And I'm very exact. Now, If you... I don't know if you're interested in this, but I'm just sharing this with you. Um, (laughs) If you look at the Notary in In Part 2, that'd be Madur Tinyana in Orchayim 65, so you'll see that B'Tsal Rondrig, who's a young guy in his 20s, uh, in Prague, uh, the Jewish neighborhood is all packed in one place. So, I mean, they all know each other. Uh, You may learn in this base menish instead of that base menish, but they all know each other. And clearly our hero was big in learning, and the Netibutu loves people who's big in learning, you know, he knows he could sit and talk with them for hours, 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 in, in Pilpul, you know, in lumdes. That's, that's who he was. You either like that or you don't, but if you, you're either a player or you're not, but if you're a player, you have a grand old time. And so, if you just read uh, this number 65, Samache, it's, he says, a Ahuvi Rebetzal, that's our uh, hero, Beetzal Ronsberg, and he said, I just have to read the (laughs) first, it's fun to read this, the the first paragraph, He says, you know, you wrote me, you just sent me a contress. Now listen closely. The contress is to defend what I wrote in Nodehuda Volume 1. Some guy wrote a countries attacking me. Now, in lumbest terms, It's all purely scholarly. A guy, a, a, a in somewhere, wrote a whole thing that I passed him wrong. And he wrote 11 hasogas, 11 objections to prove that my PSOC was wrong and that he, 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 he heard the volume one. And you, young Ronsberg here, to defend me, you wrote a whole countries defending me, and in other words, challenging his 11 hasogas. But I'm going to tell you something. I don't need your I saw this, And I don't even know if they're true. I can answer myself, and I'm going to do that. None of this is said in a bad spirit. You have to understand. Everybody's having a grand old time. And it says, din <laughs> The note of says that the guy attacked me because I was mechadash in the note who, volume 1, Sh'agozol <laughs> somebody steals a chometz, and obviously... It becomes Chamus Shavlaba Pesach. So, in other words, you know, I guess on Pesach he stole it, or maybe before, and um, that would make more sense. And uh, then it's Chamus Shavlaba Pesach, that is Asr Banoh. So, can you say Harek Shalchol Vanechah? Isn't that interesting? So, in other words, it's an exception. It's an exception to the rule Chamus Shavlaba Pesach. The reason I was not able to sell my Chamus is you stole it from me. Right? Let's say you stole it a month before. I don't know, whatever the case is. So I wasn't to, you know, get rid of my hummus, to sell it. So now it was recovered or something like that. So is the hummus also to me? It's not fair that you should go and do it to me. So apparently this Dayan, whose name was Yehuda uh, Le Roshavitz from Tabor, wherever, Hungary, and, uh, to some guy, there were the whole countries attacking my psaac. From a scholarly point of view, um, with 11 hasagas criticisms, and he was very proud that he busted me. This is a Nobihuda writing. By the way, this is a private letter, which was not necessarily meant for publication, so I want to keep that in mind. It's not boasting or anything like this. Like I said before, this is a letter that many years after Nobihuda died, his children decided to publish it in volume in Nobihuda. That's why he's very chatty. Very chatty. And you, young Ronsberg here, wrote a whole thing to defend me, and I like what you say, meaning I I like your defense of my psak. But I don't agree with what you wrote. In other words, you're defending me, but I want to say like this: I don't agree with your defense. I can defend myself. I I hold I'm right for other reasons than what you say, you want to prove through some lumdis that I'm right, I actually don't agree with your alumnus, but in spite of that, <laughs> I hold up right anyway, but, and I appreciate your efforts on my behalf, let's put it that way, and now I want to address what this guy wrote against me, he wrote about them, like in uh, you know, the, what he called. it, the 11 stars. See, 11 Asogas, he fi- he figures they're gewaldic. They're 11 Asogas. And the interview is saying like this, really, the guy's a jerk. And the only reason I'm taking the trouble to respond, it's easy for me to respond to 11 Asogas, and I'm going to do it right now. But I wouldn't even bother with some loser like that. But you, I like you, Besal Ronsberg, and since you took the trouble... <laughs> To write a to defend me, so I'm going to deal with what this guy says. It's wonderful. Because out of the 11 asagas that he has against me, 9 are, are stupid. And his eyes were closed, meaning he couldn't what I was saying there. And I don't even know how to defend this guy who wrote this country attacking me. He's a loser. Either he's dumb, or he's stubborn. He has to fight against Amos. How could he say it? Or maybe doesn't like me. Isn't this wonderfully like chatty? But the guy died. <laughs> this is great. The the person who wrote the 11 things died. I forgive him. <laughs> I forgive him. No no hard feelings. And now I'll address, in principle, the, the, the 11 hasogas. Nine of which are stupid, but the last two are not stupid, even though, but they're wrong. In other words, the first nine, the don't stand. The last two is a stickle time, but I can bust them. I only say the last two are good in relative terms. Really the last two are also wrong, but compared to the first nine stupid ones, they're they're, they're, they're smart. I <laughs> need to look at look at the relationship he has with Radar. I'll write out all the Hasagas. <laughs> and So apparently apparently what happened was that um, if I understand this correctly, our hero got a hold of a copy of the Huda from this dying. And on the side, the Dian wrote, as people can do, Hasagas, 11 objections he has to one of the socks of the note of the Huda, Volume 1. And our hero composed his own defense, but he also sent to the note of the Huda, he said, listen, I'm writing out to you what this guy wrote against you, and here's what I wrote to defend you. And the note of the Huda is responding, he says, well, okay, this is good news to me, meaning this is all news to me, I should say. And nine of them are dumb. The last two are not dumb, but they're wrong. I don't need your defense, but I like the fact that you end, ended up to do so. And then this whole chuba is consisting of these 11 hasagas. Because you take a look at, your, I don't know if you I don't know who's listening to this, but if you're the type that's interested in this, take a look over there. and In Madur Tanyana ur number 65, because Kosov, Mazik, Ains, the MSI in display He lists them all, right? He he lists all the 11 hasagas. And then he says Elu Dwarandriamasig, the name of Asagus uh based on eleven points, Ahuvi Kalmidi and he writes to Basal Ronsberg, my dear beloved student, to Mikal Khasaga, I I copied out what you say, and now uh Habeiture Eich Kola Asagas Ela you knupso kabnigir. How <laughs> they're gonna be busted and crushed like a wall, like a destroyed wall. Belvose and I'll do it of your way. And uh he says, the first one, uh, He said the guy was so dumb, he brought an ejection to me, to my psalm from the tour. Really, it's a And number two, he says, The guy was blind. He couldn't see. I, I, he says, I didn't quote this. I did quote it. Number three, Number four, Number four, Hoshku so you don't get it. Number five, This is great. Number six, Mamish Ain MSA and so on and so forth. Now the reason I mention it, first of all, it's cool. They're very cool. Second of all, um, it shows you the kind of relationship we have no to Very, very warm, you understand? So he didn't exactly learn under him as best I can tell. But obviously they talked and learning. You understand? Because if you're nobody you see a guy like this, You know, it's it's a pleasure to talk to them and learn. But they must had a. (laughs) I wish I was there, flying the to hear the conversation going over there. Well, here we are at the age of in seventeen eighties. He got to get married, and he married a rich girl. But before he married the girl, uh, the final soligos he says, "I'll pay, but I want a guddle and (laughs) which they used to do in that time. And so he sent him to another two years uh, before. Uh, that could get married, to finish graduate school. Shall we talk like that? And he went out of Prague again to Kolen, which is a town in Bohemia. It's not unknown. It was a Jewish community. Uh, Kolen. It's actually a very famous battle fought there in the Seven Years' War. Uh, That's where Frederick the Great was defeated. But anyway, um, and he learned there by Rabbi Lazar Kalir, Many people don't know what I'm talking about. There was a big rabbi in Bohemia. The Orchadosh. Uh, you've seen that. The on Sukkah. On Psachim, You've seen that. Uh loves Reha He's obviously not the poet from the Middle Ages. And he was a big gadol also. And so, like I said before, our hero has a very unusual, what shall I say, uh, profile. He had a very broad and Catholic, small say, Catholic uh, Torah education by a lot of different people. I find that very interesting. Now so here he is, must have been twenty-five, something like that. And he got he came back to Prague excuse me. He came back to Prague and got married. That's where he spent the rest of his life. Next twenty five years or so of his life till he died. Unfortunately he didn't have any kids. So uh big expenses he didn't have. Um he's married to a a wealthy family, wealthy enough. Okay, the father promised him ten years' support. And there was one of the rich guys in Prague named Luca. Lucas means to come from Luca in Italy. It's an Italian family. That who knows when they moved to Prague? Luca. Well, okay. He was, like I said before, a wealthy family. This is just. This is the time the Hasidism is starting, and the Haskalah hit Prague. But there was still alof, enough of the pre-masculine sensibilities that some of these old rich guys still had old-fashioned Hasagas, and by that I mean that. You know if it was already in the Haskalah period, they would bankroll more modern types of Jewish cultural enterprises. but if you're old still old school, so a person says like this, you know I'm a multimillionaire, I want to set up an elite kollel. uh you know, and the guy had what was by local local standards a palace I mean not really, but you know by local standards in Prague in the Jewish community and Bottom line is he had a big room in the house. And this room can be a colo. Okay? They didn't use the word colo, but that's what it is. And uh, this guy, Sal Ronsberg, you you run the colo, and that's what he did for the rest of his life. So in a certain sense, unfortunately he didn't have children. So, you know, that's what it is. But other than that, he had this happy life in the sense that, you know, he, he got to sit and learn and, and, and spend all of his time like that, and the money was there. Now, and that is, what he, that is what happened to him. Uh, when the notre died, which was in 1793, you know, he already lost his health in 1790, so, you know, all the people in the second rung moved up higher. And uh, uh, our hero was very good friends with Lezard Fleckless, you know, the, the Chuva Miyavo and people like that. These are the Chachmei Prague, even after the death of the bihuda At the time the Haskala hits, at the time the French Revolution hits, which was in 1790, and the Napoleonic Wars. This is a time of period when our hero was living and flourishing in Prague. It was a very stormy period in history. Now, let me say something over here. Prague is um, was really old school in that it was like Torah only. Uh, it's hard to explain this, but I'll do my best in the short period I have. Um, In the last 200 years, Orthodox Judaism has unfolded in such a way that Torah alone is not enough. It's married to something else. If you're Hasidic, it's Torah and Hasidus. You know, Gemara, 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 plus Hasidus. Some people's Torah and Musr. Some people's Torah and this. Listen, some people's Torah and Yeted. You know what I mean? (laughs) Mishpacha. It's it's, it's Torah and something. It's ideology, is what I'm trying to say. In the modern era... The, 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 to, to survive against all the um, counter-trends of modernity, the, there arose what we call today the yeshiva world, the yeshiva movement, which isn't only about learning. The yeshiva world, uh, I'm speaking about the non-chaseg here, the chaseg has their own, right? The yeshiva world has a heavy dose of ideology. Um, you know, Das Torah, um, yeshivaism. Uh, certain things you do, certain things you don't do, uh, a black hat, uh, you know what I'm saying? There's all kinds of auxiliary shtick that have come to characterize the she-world because it's a subculture. It's not simply a school for the study of the Talmud. You get it? Not just a school study of Talmud. A guy's not going to walk in the Lakewood in shorts and sandals, even though he can learn up the whole uh, shas. You, you get what I'm saying? It's not only about uh, the, the study of the Gemara itself and so forth. It's, it's a cultural baggage that comes along with it. And um, there are certain forms that are observed. They've slowly but surely evolved in the 1800s and 1900s. And uh, there's a certain way of giving a share now. It's, it's just interesting. In other words, the yeshivaism could be studied by a sociologist, and has. Uh, has its norms, as you might say. Um, but once upon a time, things were different. And it really, in the 18th century in Prague, as best as I can tell, it was, it was about learning, period. Now, um, one good example, I'm trying to think of how to convey this to an audience. One good example would be like this. What about college? What about college? What's the yeshiva view on college? The general trend is like it's yeshivas against college. I know people go, I'm just saying, you know, it, it, the ideology Is against college. It's against Limurichol. Some do, some don't. The the ideology is against Limud Uh, Why? There are obvious reasons. Um, But are they matters of principle? In many yeshivas, they certainly are matters of principle. Take, for example, Eretz Yisrael. Now, now under the strains of the last 20, 30 years, and the economics and all that, these things are changing a little bit. But still, the fundamental approach is... They're against the and against all that. Now, yeah, um, yeshivas are not learning the place the marnebuchim. You, you, you see what I'm saying? Now, uh, in Prague, really wasn't like that. In Prague, it was about—I uh, mean, they had those types, but really, as, as, as I just find this interesting. They really had like uh, you know, it's all about learning, and uh, you know where you, who you are and what you are, how from yours, all but all about learning, and. Beyond that, they didn't have strong opinions. Some people are into Limurichol, some people are not in the some people read the newspapers, some people didn't read the newspapers, and so on and so forth. It's really about learning. and It was not a Hasidic town at all. Zero. And so, uh, this could be good and bad. The bad was that it went under eventually through the waves of modernity. It disappeared. Which goes to show you that Torah minus some additive couldn't work in the, in the modern world this is interesting, but our hero was still from the old school, the last generation or two, last generation really it was just Kula learning and everything else was, you know uh, not strongly held one way or the other where I'm going with all this is the Haskalah was very popular in the yeshiva world in Prague it's it's funny but that's what it was Uh, now, the main emphasis was in learning but people could also be interested in the writings of Moses Mendelssohn, I know it sounds funny to say so and uh, some of these other guys, especially the dick all the rest of it. Now, if the Haskalah at that time ever came out with something anti-Frum, oh boy, in Prague they would attack it. But they wouldn't throw out the baby with the bathwater. They wouldn't say, well, because of this, the whole Haskala's bed. It's just, that, that's who our hero was. So here's somebody from the late 1780s through the 1790s and the early 1800s and down to the year 1820 when he dies was what we would call today Roche-Kolel, uh, so he must have good guys. His, he was married to somebody with, who, as I understand, it, had money. And um, he was also being supported by this guy, this Luca Foundation, you know, who basically was paying the cola checks. So, um, so what's there to do? Now, he therefore was able to go through Shas, you know, as a cola would do, you know, the whole Shas, the whole of this and that and the other. Several times, I'm sure. Several times. In the course it is, is a pilpul Haverim. And this is the old type of Lambdas, a pilpul, Like you find in the Be'udah, you know, in the Slach. You have the Kashiach, you have the territory, you have the, you know, the dialectical reconciliation. All the tricks in, uh, of the old way of learning. And uh, that was flourishing. That was flourishing. Now, um, he, it was from this dibba Haverim, pilpul that he wrote his books. Um, and he did it on uh, a number of uh, Masechters. It's pretty clear, listen, he died 60. Uh, he could have lived to be 70 or 80. In my opinion, had had things turned out good for him, and they didn't exactly, but had things turned out better for him, then he would have written, how should I put it, something like a Pnei Yeshua or a Tzlach or something like that, on shas or a lot of it. I think that's what he wanted to do. Uh, it would be unique in his way. It would be you know, very lumbish in a certain style, but very clear. And he would do mesechda after mesechda. And then you would have heard of him. He wouldn't be some obscure person I'm bringing to your attention. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you'd say, oh yeah, so, you know, it's like the Arkha the Karenora, Peishua. Oh yeah, I've heard of him. You know, like that. Um, but he, and he put years and years into these so he wrote a very uh, thing on, uh, called Amix Sukkos, and something called Taharas obviously, on those Mesachtas, and things like that. I mean, he put years and years into this. I'll say it again. And, uh, w- which is just impressive. So here you have somebody learning heavy duty and uh, putting his thoughts on paper, because remember, this is what's going to be his, uh, this is what's going to be his, what shall I say, His legacy. Because uh, he didn't have children. And, um, you know, I mean, I not know anything about his married life. But uh, I can totally hear where he's coming from. And, you know, this was the style to do this kind of slough type thing. Or at least that was his natia And he has some shalas and shuvahs, and they were published a number of years ago in Israel. And I tell you the truth, I feel stupid. I have it somewhere. I bought it. It's like an obscure little book that was put out by the Malcolm Lime or somebody like that. In the 1980s, I think Rabbi Booksbaum, who ran the Machane Yisrael, if I remember correctly, published his Shals and Chubas and a couple of Hadushim and things like that. But that's not really—I mean, you know—you know, obviously you got know a but his—he was mainly Lamedus. That's—that's you can see who, who he is. He's mainly Lamedus. That's what he likes to do. Now, um, a lot of these things, some were burned in fires. That—that's what happened. The, the, I remember the Sefer on uh, he, he said he spent seven years uh, writing it, and then it was burned in a fire. You see? That's uh, the problem from yesteryear. Okay, I mean that that that's really uh, tough. Okay, uh, and uh, same thing happened. I maybe with the chol, and I don't know what happened. All I know is that he he got lucky in the following degree that one of, one of the things they learned was Hurius now, Hureus is the end of, of uh, you know, it's that small one, 13 blot, uh, that people do when they need a, uh, what's the right word? When you need a see them in the nine days or whatever. You, know, you do Hureus, the 13 blot. But it's hard, right? Anybody learns Hureus knows it's not easy. I mean, after, the, after you do it a few times, you, it's not hard. But first time, it's, it's, it's in, in Ezekiel, it's more like him. And all I know is I first learned this, I don't know, you know, when I was very young. And I still remember, like, the first year you Yeshiva, a night satyr because it was short, but it was hard. Okay? Now, um, uh, he, he, so, he says like this, he says that, you know, he made up his mind to write, just like I said before, just like he wrote on the, on sukkah, which is a complex, Masechta agreed, and on chulun, uh, obviously, so, uh, he wrote on the Horius, which is called horigever, and he says over here, uh, let me, let me read you the intro. He says Shava Shonim Biyosir, a Shabakatani, Kisin Am Ish uh Khail Goverbagovin a Grim Forsim Shmu Luka. It's seven years now since I was hired by this guy Luca to run the Kolo. Leos Michoshi based midrosho Bishka Verimov Hokim Lilma Koldriasha. To this guy Shmo Luka, he said, I w I want a colal that isn't wasting time. I want them to go through gunshots. Fine. Al Nizikin. So we went through Nizekin. Samtius close Sanhedrin after I went through Babakamatium, Babasan Sanhedrin. Yan me Olam Shama debrisi I always heard of Hurias, but it's Azuva and Atusha Mu and Zavius. It never got much attention. Because people are more into the Bava's, the Yeshivas, and to some degree Sanhedrin, to some degree, depending who you are. Uh, but who are is? Now, they didn't have Tafiyomi, you see? Uh, they didn't have all these kind of programs we have today. A lot of people, you know the yeshiva style. you can spend your whole life learning and never get around to this mesehta. You were spending all the time in the third of babakama. That used to be very common. Only in recent years, let me put it this way, that's how it was when I was young in America. And listen, it wasn't exactly like that, but that's how it was in America. Only you know, uh, Rav Shach and people like that say you have to put in the bikis, bikis, bikis. So that revived the bikis project, and uh, and then frankly, the uh, Daf art school, and the Steinzalt, i mean, you know, that made it that what you call Yid, You know what they, what they do today. But that time he said, like abandoned. dorishim mavakish law, and nobody gets into horias, meaning in the lamdash way, leotsem achumrius because it's hard." So that now it's it's like a a, a popular folk saying in the Ishi world. If you see something hard, and in, 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 in the Gemara Tosaf, he said, "Boy, it's like a horious thing, right?" do it to remove all the stones and to write a pirish." They'll make it easier for the student to enter into it. said it'll encourage people to do horias, And he wrote this thing called Horeas. Now, that put him on the map. Okay? That put him on the map. Because there were no swarm on the Horeas. And uh, now I have to tell you, I never heard of it when I first learned Horeas. Uh And if it did, it wouldn't mean anything to me, you know. Maybe I heard it you know, when I was young. It doesn't mean anything to me. Only years later, and, I'll tell you, and it's a funny way how it happened, I'm about to tell you so if in so in the 1800s and the 1900s early 1900s, anybody who did undertake the Lin they got a reputation, oh, you have to do with the horigeber, that made him famous, and it's wonderful safer, by the way. I've looked at it a few times, not much because usually when I do horius, it's the same reason, I got to finish a, a for a yard site or something like that, you know, haven't done it in a while, but uh you know if it, 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 it could be reasons like that or people do it in the nine days. But if you take Hurya seriously, and now I'm not into the Yomi, but I'm to whoever's in the Yomi, I'm sure, you know what the Masiftas and all that stuff, all those new books, they must quote copiously from the Howard Giver. and he's a great writer. Now, I, I'll say it again, I never, I can't really say I heard of it, I mean, or it didn't mean anything to me. I came across our hero in a different way, and that is, when I got married, to like a lot of people, then I started learning Nida. Okay, Mesechtis Nida. I can learn before, but I didn't. Okay? Now, um, let me see, I'm looking at my library here. When I started learning Nita, so I think I just fortuitously, I saw in the bookstore or something like that, uh, this safer called um Chochmas I think that's was the title of it. And what happened was that he wrote a safer in Mesakis Nida. It never got published. And in the 1950s, the Mozart Ruff Cook uh, published it. Rabbi Uh, uh I, I, I'm going by memory here. For some reason, I don't see it in my house. I have it. I do have it somewhere. And it was a very good... Let, let me put it this way. And it wasn't the first time I learned Nido because then I just did it, whatever. But the second time, a couple years later, so I got married in 83, so I don't know, some, one of those years. Uh, then I got a hold of this and... It was a very fun. It was great. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why. He wasn't boring at all. I mean, he, he he writes very, very well. And uh I was able to use it for a lot of Varturas and things like that uh for a long time. I'm going back many years. I haven't looked at it in a while, but it's called Chochmas I think, and he called it pisre Nido. And anyway, it's the safer for And it's uh, in the style of the Tslach, you might say, or something like that, but it's better because I not just like I read you before, the, um, that letter from him from Node of Yehuda, very chatty. I found, I know it sounds crazy, I'm just telling you, I'm just sharing with you. I found this safer on, on Nida, which is alumnus of safer, you know, It's the alumnus of the old school of that style that was around at that time. Uh, I found it very easy to read and very easy, you know, the, the cautions and the truths and everything were easy to understand. And I think it's a fantastic safer. <laughs> Yeah, that's why. That's really when I, uh, you know, became fond of him, and uh, and have been ever since. And I'll tell you something really funny. Uh, I recall this distinctly. It was, you know, he lived in Prague, not in Vilna, uh, and he died in eighteen twenty. But he was a contemporary of Vilna Gorn. The Vilna Gorn lived from the seventeen twenties to the seventeen nineties, and our hero was born in seventeen sixty. So you know, the ones in 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 Vilna, ones in Prague, but big deal. And I remember he said in there I can't find the safer. It's here in my house somewhere. Isn't that funny? Uh, I'm looking for it. The I'm walking up and down my rows. The uh the the he said that Vard, what uh, which he used at the um pit, uh what do you call it when the baby's born, the uh not pigeonabend, what am I thinking of? The Shom zacher. that's it. The Shom zacher. And he has over there that why is it that and since then everybody uh, quotes it but he says why is it that the Malach learns with the baby and then you know smacks him on the lips to forget it you know like why is it like that and he said I heard from Elio of, uh, of, of Vilna no it was the Vilna Gon so here's the Chachim of quoting from the Vilna Gon and he said the reason is because the Torah is so sublime that it's so sublime that it's not possible for Yelud Isha to, to, to be able to chab so you have to have learned it once, sort of miraculously. In other words, like like uh, I think Aristotle has that famous uh, business about memory. You know, is it uh, that we already remember from earlier life, or is it brand new? These are theories of the memory, and it's got to be. The Gros said that you learned it once, sort of supernaturally, because Torah is supernatural. So Malim and so you have to learn it with a Malach, and then forget it, but then it's in the recesses of your memory. And then for the rest of your life, when you're, when you're learning, and you come up with any Kiddush or anything like that, you know what I mean, you you're really recalling it from, from ancient times, like when, when you were a baby, uh, in the mother's belly. Uh, I wish oh, it was very cute, was very nice of art, and the reason, anyway, I, but of all places, see it to grow up, I saw in the Chacham's Bissau. uh, so if, I don't know, you know, if you're ever learning meat or something like that, or Horius, these are, you know, these are his two famous, uh, books. As I said before, he didn't have any children, unfortunately. But he was considered very chashav, and therefore, I don't know exactly all the politics. But he, you know, that's how his hagos got put in the side of um, of uh, the Gemara, right? The hagos Marab Bronsberg, as you see on the side of the Vilna Shas, it was first in the Prague edition and then the, the Vilna edition. So he obviously had a reputation already for chlorite. You know what I'm saying? Because if you ever look at those things, they're they're very... He's like from the best of the Prague in that regard. They're very clear in the Horus that he has. At least that's my opinion. And um, what's also weird is that, as I said before, he's born in 1760. So maybe I can use this terminology. He's one generation before the Haskola really hit full full, full blast. So these guys knew the Haskola stuff. And we're interested in it. But it didn't affect their fromkite or their learning. Um, but he had students, and um, some of them went off the derech in the sense that they were more affected by the Haskola business. And actually, Zachary Frankel, who's the founder of conservative Judaism, who was a big Talmud Kocham, he's a big Talmud Kocham because he learned under Ronsberg. Uh, he was a, a boy from a rich family in Prague, and a Chashev family in Prague. And they sent obviously to learn with this uh, uh, family, shtubbed him somehow in the, into this elite kollel, And uh, he, he taught him how to learn very, very well. And then, this guy, Frankel, went on to university and, well, skipping all the details, went on to be the founder later on of Conservative Judies, not reformed, but conservative. It's also true that his nephew or something like that, uh, who also a little bit by him, I mean, a drop. Was uh, uh, the founder of Reformed Judaism in America, Isaac Mayer Wise. When I say a drop, maybe a half a drop, uh, because he was an Amars de Raisa. But uh, he's also related to him. So it's very interesting over here. I leave with this thought that here we have somebody who has a certain model, and the model's is that of a private scholar. Uh, not a Rav, uh a in not a Dian, you know, nothing like that. But he's, uh, although he he maybe was a Dian in Prague a little bit, but that's not his. Persona, He was a learner. And it's just tragedy that uh, life didn't work out in such a way that he could publish, like I say, a whole slew of these on the Masechtas. Look, the guy put seven years on one Mesachta. Think For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.com rabbidovidcats.com.